This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where, if you go to zupans.com or subscribe to their news feed, you would know that Harris Ranch Prime Tri-Tip Steak is on sale for a significant amount off. You'll save $8 a pound right now. And I got a confession to make, Chris. We do this Harris Ranch uh, Prime Tri-Tip Steak nearly every Sunday evening or Sunday afternoon. It's our Sunday dinner. And if you've never prepared a tri-tip before, it's super easy. Salt and pepper, cook it in your cast iron and you're good to go. Or even grill it outside. Or I would imagine that you can what do that. we're looking at here has grill marks on it. Yeah, I've smoked mine before, which is delicious, but uh, you can't beat the price right now at Zupan's. Yeah. Yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it. There you go. Or or you know, or your smoker. Uh they got a great deal yeah, on uh ahi tuna, seventeen ninety nine a pound. It just looks delicious. Uh it is so rich uh looking. I'm I'm looking at this picture. Delicious. Well, it's sashimi grade, and I can't tell you I I guess in the middle of Zupan's commercial, we shouldn't necessarily mention Murata restaurant, but they have that they have this same really good sushi and tuna makes a difference when it's really excellent rather than that kind of faded uh you know almost not so red tuna yeah so yep um also i'm looking at right under i love the tate's bake shop cookies i hope my doctor isn't listening <laughs> but they're on sale you can save two dollars two dollars and fifty cents a bag right now and right under that i've got two house-made frittatas i grabbed yesterday one of them is the pancetta and pea pesto and uh or pancetta and pea I'm sorry. One of them is the pancetta and pea, and the other one has eggplant in it. I can't wait to dive into those. Three locations to serve you, McAdam, West Burnside, and Lake Oswego, and information is always available where? Zupans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again, it's Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's Right at the Fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. And I'm Cork Johnson from Right at the Fork. Also, uh, some Portland radio. That's kink.fm. That's good to know. How are you enjoying spring? I actually saw, I'm starting to see some blossoms. And uh, this is my favorite time of year. Yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm more of a fall guy. It might have more to do with uh, football season. Uh, however, I, 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 I think Oregon has changed me because after g- going through the gray, like we all do, the, this welcome change to spring is great. And as I look outside my window, it's blue skies. This is not a weather report, but uh, blue skies. But then I also I, I had blue skies, and then I also had rain falling there for about 10 minutes. It was, it was great. I love sunny skies with rain. Well, not only that, that the clouds are the best at this time of year. You get some incredible – I drove back from Portland yesterday and off to the south. Uh, I just – you can't help but just fall in love with life when you're looking at those clouds. They're so beautiful. So um, – yeah. Yes, yeah, always my favorite time of year, and of course, you mentioned football. I like my baseball, so right. Uh, and you know, we're as a Met fan, often we're hopeful, but I'm really hopeful now. We got the wealthiest owner in team sports, so um, we got and and he spent some money, so that's good. Mm. Sounds like uh, sounds like uh, the positivity of every Met fan every year. At the start of the season. Oh, it's not every year, man. Since the Wilpons <laughs> sold, 
this is a different ball game now, uh, pun intended, sure. I guess. But um, but at any rate, it's one of the reasons. It's one of the reasons to love spring. The other is for me. Um, this year we're doing a, a trip to Spain, Portland Food Adventures, and we've got that all set up. This last couple of weeks, I've been. Um, tying everything up and dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's for our first trip in a couple of years. I'm excited about that. We have one in um, the fall, September 16th to 24th, to Sicily. And we have some room for anybody who would like to come with us. It is a fantastic trip. Again, public service announcement, uh, as well as promoting what I do. Uh, we have we have this podcast, and I may as well mention it because we'd love to have some folks go with us. Um, are we sold out our trips uh, on the Snake River with Canyon Outfitters and Ringside Steakhouse and Flying Fish? Actually, I think we have two spots left to find Flying Fish, but that's as good as sold out. That's 30 spots that were taken over the last week or two. So that was good. So uh, all I got left is Italy, and that's... That's an interesting thing because it's one of the best trips we have. So, Court, you're going to sign up for that, you and Randy. Yeah, may, we we may need to. Uh, <laughs> Listen, uh, I got, I had you uh, I had you fumbling there for a minute. Well, I you, you are kind of putting me on the spot, but we need to come up with. Some, <laughs> I don't uh, expect some I don't expect vacation plans. I, Listen, when your kids are out of the house, then I'm going to put a little pressure on you, but. Right. Yeah, no, we. I've, I've, I'm, I got a. I've got a senior in high school next year, Chris. So it's a little. I'm, I'm entering this. I know you've been through this twice, but it, I'm. I'm entering a weird phase where like, she's enter. You know, she's coming to the end of this home life and going to start college life soon. It's weird. Well, yeah, but I just did. Uh, so March was birthday month around here. I just did birthdays for my thirty and thirty three year olds. So yeah. that's crazy. So they're now both of age when I started having children. Right. So, uh, you know, it's kind of, I had lots of thoughts in March about that and how much time has transpired and how fast it goes. It does seem like a long time ago that they were little kids, but just, just the, the fact that now I'm the oldest generation alive in my family, that's a little, that. It is what it is. And as right. a matter of fact, the way the world is now, I'm, I've kind of come to grips with mortality that it's a good thing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can understand that. Yeah. I mean, I I, do that. I need to get into 2060? I don't think so. But who, yeah. kno who knows? I'm happy with technology where it is right now, life where it is right now, but who knows where it's, who knows where it's going? Right. <laughs> But true words well, and words of wisdom. My philosophy is if you turn off the news and you don't you don't look online, life is pretty good. It's when you start oh. looking at that, then uh, Amen, brother. It gets a little that, that, uh, I've said this before. That, that's why I got I stopped I, I check in on Facebook maybe once every week, maybe every two weeks, and it's a life changer. Like just to not have you don't need to be that connected. Yeah, and if if you really think about it, if you're not, this is, doesn't mean anybody should bury their head in the sand, 
But if you right. just want to live a stress-free life, that is not possible if you have the news on all the time. It just isn't, especially nowadays. It's a little oh, yeah. perilous. So, But we suggest, as far as media, you listen to this because this podcast because there's no stress involved in this. It's all wonderful. We just get to hear from our tastemakers in Portland and what's going on. Surely less stressful than it was doing this podcast two years ago at this time. Sure. Um, and uh, today is no exception. We have back on the podcast for the first time in a, quite a while, uh, Brooke Jackson Glidden from Eater and Eater PDX. I think she writes for both parts of you know the national and the local part of Eater, and it's one of the great things about Eater is they um, they really get to know the local market in terms of food scenes, and they are one of the go-to sources, if not the go-to source for information on new restaurants. And that's what we talk about with Brooke, new restaurants and food carts and things happening. We're updating 2022. It's been a while since we've done that. She keeps track of everything. She's got to publish X articles a day on that sort of thing. So it's always good to check in with Brooke, and we like her, generally generally like Brooke. And in this podcast, uh, we talk a little bit about um, the James Beard Foundation Awards and her influence on those. She doesn't necessarily um, admit to having influence on them, but she does not deny it either. But what she does say, actually, we should let people listen, but she talks about the contact she may or may not have with the people from the James Beard Foundation and makes it very clear she's not a judge. So that, and the other thing that was fun, Court, was to talk about her favorite fast food, because that is the antithesis of gen generally of what Eater covers is shit like McDonald's and what she likes there. This makes me more excited to hear about this because I, that's been one of my biggest complaints at times about food media is that they do leave out a source for a lot of people's daily lunch and dinner, which is, which is the fast food. Right. And here we are in Portland and we get so tied into all the Portlandia kind of stuff and all, all the farm to table restaurants and the local produce. And it's all wonderful. And that's what we, that's why we have this podcast. However, there are times we just eat to eat <laughs> and get it done. And uh, so there's that there. You know, we talked to Gary the foodie who kind of admits his favorite thing on the planet is Domino's. And yeah. this is a guy who's traveling around the world eating at Michelin star restaurants and ordering tasting menus everywhere. And he cops to that. And I think it's great. And, uh, you know, I've never been bashful at saying that I love my sausage biscuit at McDonald's in the morning. It's just the easiest way to get breakfast out of the way for me. So not sure. necessarily yeah. the healthiest, but I share it with my dog. Easy. There's love. He gets the he gets half of the biscuit um, every time. So there's that. Very nice. Do you share Do you share food with your dog? Does your dog eat people food? Oh, he does. He's uh, he's uh, he's big on carbs, and so I haven't haven't introduced him to the biscuit portion of the sausage biscuit. But he loves pizza. Like he, so he's when when it's pizza night, which is generally every Friday night at the house, he knows exactly what's going on and just is sitting there waiting for it, and loves pizza crust. Well, the sausage biscuit is cheaper. 
Yeah. It may not be as good, but so I'm curious because in the ad today for Zupans, you mentioned Sunday night is tri-tip night. Now you got Friday night is pizza night. Do you have scheduled food for each night of the week? Uh, We have a routine. So uh, (laughs) Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are prepared meals. It's, you know, it's pastas, salads, rice bowls, different things. We kind of rotate through some stuff. But by Thursday, we've got enough leftovers. We call it, we actually have a name for it. It's fend for yourself, which is eat out of the fridge. You got to eat leftovers. Mm -hmm. And that's our, our attempt to kind of purge the fridge of all the leftovers. Friday is pizza night. Saturday, we typically will find somewhere to go out to eat. Or, or order in and then Sunday has become uh in I, I call it Zupan Sunday. I make a trip to Zupan's, I get something you know, I grew up I grew up where every Sunday it was it was pot roast, mashed potatoes, some sort of vegetable, you know, Sunday dinner. And uh I, I try to recreate that and lately it's it's been a lot of tri tip, but we're doing some variety. That's good. You know, I never I don't think I've ever had anything like that where I have a day for something the only thing that i remember i did way back when when i was married which is like another you know another time and place but we used to Mm -hmm. do uh way long before the days of food media or food television we used to subscribe to bon appetit and gourmet and every sunday we would switch off and do um a mystery recipe so the other one of us who wasn't cooking could not come into the kitchen. They could obviously smell what was going on, but could not yeah. come into the kitchen and would not know what was being served until we sat down, and it was always a recipe out of one of those two magazines. Oh, nice. Right. You know, I, I, I love it. And in fact, it, you know, again, I've mentioned this on our, our Zupans ads that uh, Zupans, the, the recipes that are available through their newsletter or on their website have become a huge resource for me because you do kind of reach these times where you're in a rut in terms of variety and your meal planning. Um, and Zupans is helpful for that. But I, I should point out taco Tuesday. We do taco Tuesday on the regular, not every week, but when we do Tuesdays, it's very inappropriate to not do that on, on uh, Tuesday. So it's either tacos street tacos or sometimes taco salad all right well i'm gonna do a very east coast thing here and just point out that i've never been invited for any of these nights any of oh. them and there could be a good reason <laughs> good reason for no that. we will we will, we will fix that chris <laughs> we'll, we'll now, figure out one of the good ones the fact of the matter is that one of the things that we have done over the past few years is get together, and now it's the four of us instead of the three of us at ringside and, yeah. and break bread over a meal, and that's wonderful, and we should do that more often uh, or anywhere, but ringside is always kind of a fun way to go. To, sure, yep. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I'd be in for Taco Tuesday, or I'd even bring pizza. I, I'd find some great pizza and bring it. So maybe, maybe that's what we need to do because, uh, you know, we, we get into our routines. We've found a great – it's not local. There's a few scattered about uh, Portland that we like, Ravante's. But, um, uh, yeah, we should, we should do this, Chris. We are planning – this is see, this is what we do. When we talk to each other, we talk to each other on the podcast. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is our opportunity, and we get to bring everybody into the discussion. Hey, I yep. had some great pizza. I got one for you. Cooperativa. 
they have this awesome pizza that's made to be heated at home. And I had a oh, mushroom okay. pizza last night. They serve it in squares. And there's a name for it, but I don't have it off the top of my head. But they serve it in squares, and it is it was absolutely delicious. I have their uh, patate ready to go for tonight, as a matter of fact, two nights in a row from Cooperative. Very nice. So, I'm, I'm writing that down. Yes, is and it, I hope the folks at Zupans understand that, you know, they we have other places we go once in a while. Oh, sure. <laughs> but that that is a, that's a good thing and they have a lot of frozen meatballs I got some frozen meatballs to serve this weekend speaking of Saturday nights um, and some pasta over there so they have a lot of good things over there so cooperativa stay tuned there's there well, I didn't actually bring up cooperativa for for selfish purposes but looks like we're going to be doing a trip to Tuscany with those folks next year oh very nice yeah very nice. Quite a tease, quite a, uh, quite a little uh, sidetrack we took as we uh, talk about Brooke. We should get to Brooke's conversation with you, Chris. I think that's a good idea if we didn't lose everybody along the way. If you right. stuck with us, you've got a real treat in store. It's Brooke Jackson Glidden from Eater PDX. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. And by Portland Food Adventures. Join our host, Chris Angelis, and his colleague, Austri Enzyme, next September for a wildly delicious adventure through Western Sicily. Palermo, Marsala, and lots in between. Book now to make sure you don't miss the best of Sicily. Since 2015, PFA has been taking Portlanders on incredible journeys with Portland chefs and artisans to Europe and beyond. Check out the Trips tab at portlandfoodadventures.com for Sicily, Spain, and more. Or contact Chris through the website right now while you're listening to the podcast how are you did i i think i already asked you how you were before i hit record but how are you (laughs) i'm doing okay um i'm definitely you know juggling a few things right now so a little wild-eyed but (laughs) well isn't that always the case you're always juggling right Mm -hmm. there's i don't (laughs) since i've known you i don't think you've had I, that you've been able to say, well, I'm sitting around waiting to do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll always sort of Tetris. But you know, that's an interesting idea. question. Are you? Are there things you're juggling that those of us who read you uh, on Eater PDX don't know about? Yeah, well, I think that one of the big things that we're working on right now that um, is still sort of, uh, in the works and and definitely not something that's visible from the site is that we're in the middle of hiring a new employee for Eater Portland. So for those who don't know, um, I am the only full-time employee (laughs) of Eater Portland. Um, we have a great, uh, collection of freelancers who I like absolutely could not do my job without. Um, but I am, I'm a one woman ship in certain ways. 
And that is about to change. We are in the midst of hiring someone who's going to come in as a part-time reporter, which is super exciting, but definitely a big lift. We're working through edit tests and stuff like that. So what are they going to do that you don't do now, or are they just going to pick up some of your responsibilities? Yeah. So I think that the goal here is that we're going to be able to take on richer, um, deeper stories um, by having sort of the day-to-day stuff shared, you know, sharing that load with someone. So um, this person, you know, they'll be, you'll see their byline on maps. Um, They will be working on some breaking news stories, and they'll also be contributing to these sort of larger projects that we're working on. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to doing more sort of highlights of longstanding Portland institutions um, this year. I think that, you know, if places are able to survive not the last three years alone, that is a feat, but, you know, being able to survive decades here is definitely um, quite impressive. So we're going to try to do a little bit more of those sort of larger features, larger highlights of specific people in the industry. I'm I'm glad. Well, that's kind of what we do here too, but I'm glad to hear you say that because two, a couple of notes on that one, there are fewer of those now um, than there were for sure. You know, when I start thinking about when people ask me where to go to eat, um, I'm certainly not as up on it as you are, but I mean, I was up on it for years because it included a lot of places that weren't on Eater that were really good, yeah. I thought. So um, there are fewer of those after the pandemic, as you, as you mentioned. And secondly, yes, as you talked about there, those are the ones that don't get the coverage, that find it harder. And so the catch-22 is the longer you're here, the less press you get, generally speaking. Right. So um, I think that's very cool. I'm glad you're doing that. Does that take away from some of the work that Alex Frain and others have done when you hire somebody else, or are you just going to have more stories? Um, yeah, my idea, my hope is that everyone who is continually continuing to freelance for me you know, continues to do so. You know, this is an expansion of resources for the site, which is very exciting. So we should still have this really wide swath of freelancers who contribute and are like so valuable to um, what we do, but just a little bit of extra help of having this part-time person here. So definitely look out for a new face on Eater Portland in the coming months. I'm definitely excited Well, that's cool. Actually, when I asked you the question, I was sort of going to, are there any things you're doing outside of the food world or outside of Eater that we don't know about that you work on or or consider hobbies yeah. or anything that you're spending time with? Yeah, you know, I mean, in terms of hobbies, um, I like to do some sort of um, mutual aid style work, you know, um, doing sort of like food drops and stuff like that. Um, that's something that I do outside of work. Um, and I love to snowshoe. So (laughs) I've been snowshoeing quite a bit on my weekends, um, recently, but, and I, I, I hike quite a bit as well when, you know, we're losing snow, so I'm going to have to get back into hiking more often. Um, I think that in terms of like outside of work projects, um, I don't know if we've chatted about this since I was here last, but, um, I edited a book last year. No, we didn't. Right? 
Yeah. So my, my dear friend, Kelly Williams Brown, um, she wrote the book adulting, which was a New York times bestseller. It's been translated into several languages. She wrote a very kind of personal memoir, um, about a really horrible couple of years in her life where she kept breaking bones and her father was diagnosed with cancer and, you know, she was just really going through it and ended up, um, hospitalized and, um, sort of using through that period of her life, she was using crafts as a way to sort of like process what she was going through as a way to sort of self-soothe. And so she wrote this memoir called easy crafts for the insane. Um, that is like combination memoir and these like craft tutorials. Um, so I edited that book, um, with her, I did a little bit of promo for it with her and she very sweetly dedicated the book to me, which, you know, better than any award I'll ever win. Well, you're still young. You don't know. You might get an award where you say, hey, hey, this trumps that. Who knows? I think that because of, you know, our friendship and I think the book is very special. So, you know, it was, it it felt really lovely to see um, her write this thing that was so, um, so uh, vulnerable. Um, And simultaneously very funny, you know, I think, um, so anyway, that was, that was a big outside of the food world project that I worked on in the last cu- couple of years. Um, but you know, Eater keeps me busy. <laughs> if I'm not <laughs> writing for Eater Portland, I'm doing something cool for Eater.com. You know, I'm, um, a food writing machine. <laughs> Good. And so, you know, I'm of the mindset that anytime I think something now is, especially with the pandemic, was three years ago, it was seven years ago, and vice so and so on. How long have you been the editor there? Four years. I passed my four-year anniversary okay, this Okay, that's about what I would have estimated, um, actually. Yeah, it, it is wild to think that I have been working... Actually, I should actually do this math, but I am pretty sure... More than half of my time spent as the editor of Leader Portland has been in the pandemic, which is that right? Yeah. Yes. Of, of like a couple days, <laughs> um, which is wild to think about. Um, but yeah, it, it has been incredibly rewarding, challenging, um, exciting, you know, frustrating. It, it is a, you know, one of those jobs that's sort of like a really intense relationship. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, I think that it's been a, a wild couple of years to be covering the food industry. Oh, for yeah. sure. And you've, yeah, you, you've certainly, you weren't expecting to cover it in the way that you were expecting it. So that was, uh, uh, it mixed it up a little bit for you, I would imagine. And the last time we spoke, the last episode, which was, I don't know, about six months ago, you, you reference some of the challenges that you, that came about because of the pandemic and how you, how you scrambled and changed track a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that it's now this sort of bizarre period where I'm kind of straddling both, Mm -hmm. right? Because I'm, I'm, we're still in it. You know what I mean? Restaurant owners are still struggling, struggling. They still very much need, uh, financial aid. Um, they are still trying to kind of figure out what a long lasting business looks like now, you know? Um, 
But also, people are going out to eat more than they were in the past. People are still looking for those restaurant recommendations. They're still looking for new places to check out. So um, it is sort of playing octopus, you know, holding on to a lot of different things that encompass what it means to be covering the restaurant industry. Do you think we're generally out of it? Uh, And that as we come into summer and it's a great period, general, historically good period for restaurants in terms of revenue and activity, do you think as we get into the summer period um, that will it'll start to feel normal again? And you know, with regard to masks and and requirements to go into restaurants and just how free it is. I mean, look back and think about how easy and free it was not only to go to restaurants but to travel. And now it's this whole to do. So, I hope so. I I, I think you know. I felt like we were on the other side of it in July of 2021 um, and then was stung, you know? So I think that I am just cautiously optimistic. Um, I think there is a lot that's going to be happening that is not visible to the dining public um, in terms of, you know, restaurant owners having to recoup their losses and shift the way that their businesses are run because of the incredible financial losses uh, of the last few years. And also just like straight up burnout, you know, like I think the thing that was fascinating about the Willow closure um, was that they were saying, you know, our business was doing pretty well. You know, when we reopened, people were coming in, we were selling out, but we were so burnt out, we couldn't do it anymore. So I think that that recovery period um, even if, you know, COVID numbers stay low, continue to just, you know, dissipate. Um, I think that recovery period is something that I, I hope that diners keep in mind too, as, as they're going out. Cause yeah, it, it will, I have a feeling that if it's visible to the dining public, it might not look the way that, um, it looks behind the scenes, if that makes sense. We'll probably look like things we might normally complain about. You know what I mean? Like if someone can't staff up or if someone is, you know, um, trying to juggle, you know, inflation, you know, rising food costs, it, it, it is, it is a tough thing, right? Because it's like, as diners, we really want to have a lovely dining mm-hmm. experience. Right. But I, th- I think that, you know, restaurant owners are currently trying to figure out how do I make something happen with very little, you know? So, yeah, I don't. I think that's going to continue. To be I a think it's a big challenge. It's. It's. I just. I think I. More than anything, right now, I feel a frustration with the um, lack of financial stimulus for restaurant owners and the dining public. I. I, I, I have a frustration with the way money is allocated in this country. I guess. It's oh well. Yeah. It <laughs> seems. I mean, of course, not across the board, but it seemed. The rich got richer in terms of the restaurants, and the and the smaller the smaller restaurants didn't get the aid or had to jump through so many hoops to get it that uh, they're the ones who are struggling. And we've seen the fallout from that, and a number of them closing. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was really sad to see Acadia Bistro shut. That's the typical kind of restaurant that we all love in Portland. That has been um, something that uh, you know and. Very important to its neighborhood and elsewhere, and there's quite a few of those that didn't make it. So, 
Uh, I was sad to see that happen too. I know our friend Erica has been working tirelessly to make sure that uh, that the aid was uh, the proper aid was passed in D.C. and it didn't happen. Yeah, I think that's the thing that has felt frustrating to me is that yeah, people are working tirelessly on this stuff and have communicated very loudly and very clearly that you know if we value our restaurants that this is something that we need to invest in and. I, you know, it, it just feels like the, you know, and I, I'm, I'll be candid. I'm, I'm not a ledge reporter. I'm not a congressional reporter. Um, but I do, I struggle to understand when it seems like there is a certain level of bipartisan support for the restaurant industry in certain ways that it still struggles so much in Congress. You know? Well, I think I want, at some point when everybody was struggling, yeah, it got a lot of attention and it got votes. And then all of a sudden, uh, politicians started thinking about other things. And uh, that's yeah. what it appears to me. I'm a layman in the, in the whole thing. But right. it, it seemed like this last round where uh, the timing, the deadline was approaching and then it just went by and that was it. And we got the note from Save Restaurants that said that it did not pass. That was, that was sad. So, so we have a different yeah. landscape, I think, in Portland. It's quite different, especially downtown is a very different landscape than it used to be. Um, and your lists are different than they used to be, I would imagine, too. It's not the same. There's a lot that mm -hmm. fell off that would that, you know, places yeah. like Ataula that were at the top of your list, geographically, I suppose, um, for yeah. years. Yeah. But, um, you know, there's a lot of restaurants like that that are no longer, you don't even have to consider any longer. Yeah. And, and, you know, there, yeah, there have been a lot of losses that have, I've felt really profoundly. It was funny. I think I, I mentioned like, oh, I've talked about this so much. I probably won't want to talk about it again. And I do. I, I think the closure of the Roxy was something I felt really profoundly over the last few weeks. Um, I think that just because, and it reminded me of, of this thing that hits me again and again, where it's like, I'm going to grieve the restaurants that are incredible restaurants, you know, in terms of their culinary prowess you know, deeply. Um, I think of Atala, I think of Acadia, um, I think of Paley's Place, I think of, you know, there are so, so many. Um, but I also am going to grieve the restaurants that held a, a place in our hearts for something beyond food. Like, you could get a great 2 a.m. breakfast at the Roxy, but the Roxy was also an important space in downtown for people who needed a safe space in the middle of the night and um you know to hear someone say i think you know i've had a little bit of a raised eyebrow about the downtown stuff and now i i think hearing this person say you know i don't think downtown's coming back in the same way i don't think graveyard's coming back in the same way i don't i don't you know it's just not sustainable in a, in a business like that that's been open for so long i think i'm kind of having that feeling of like oh we're not I'm, I'm, we're not bouncing back. You know, downtown is really not bouncing back. And um, I find that really sad because, you know, there are so many great restaurants in that area. I think, uh, you know, and, and there are still really great restaurants in that area that people should go to. You know what I mean? Um, because, you know, I do think that Portland as a whole is a city that has a lot of really interesting areas. And I think that 
way beyond, um, you know, the most, the recent history people have, you know, complained about downtown Portland, but you know, there are great, there's great architecture in downtown Portland. There are great restaurants in downtown Portland. There's a lot to appreciate there. And, and it's only if we continue to ignore it or complain about it that we won't be able to lift it back up again. Well, I think the other conundrum is that uh, I, I'm sure others have noticed it, but there are so many hotels that we never heard of five years ago that are down there that yeah. would rely on a vibrant dining scene. And that's not there any longer. So what do, what do hotels, what do concierges tell people? Um, you know, I guess I got here in 2003 and asked those same questions of concierges, and I got a couple of answers. But it's a whole different thing now than it was 18, 20 years ago. Um, yeah. And, you know, how is that? How are the hotels? It's a two-way street with the hotels and dining. How are those going to... I mean, that was a big draw to Portland was our dining scene. It's not... I mean, it, it may be vibrant, vibrant, but it surely isn't around where the hotels are now. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's tough because I do think there, there are still... I'm, like, championing the restaurants that are still downtown. You can still go to Maurice. You can still get that great Belizean chicken. You can still get, you know, there's still stuff down there. It's just hard. It's not as um, dense. There aren't as many. Um, so, but I do think that the hotels, I mean, you know, it's, it's such an interesting thing to think about. Um, and this is definitely looking behind the curtain a little bit, but we lost tourist traffic just in terms of people who are reading the stories that we have on the site, you know, um, People, that tourism traffic is still down and that's going to impact the restaurants, that's going to impact the hotels, that's going to impact, I think, Portland in ways that people don't necessarily think about. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that we, um, the thing that we, I, I want to make sure people remember is that, you know, beyond just that hotels bring in tourists hotels served as you know they they hosted some really great ho re like hotel oh, restaurants yeah. for sure you know and a lot of, those are a lot of the losses when we look at downtown restaurants a lot of them were the ones in hotels and they were great restaurants i, I remember 2019 i was saying this is like the renaissance of the hotel restaurant there's so many great hotel restaurants that are opening and like just immediate plummet because of the pandemic. It's it's just really sad because there were so many chefs that were doing some really cool stuff. Well, yeah. Plus, a few years ago, I, I cited it here, and I wasn't the only one, I'm sure, who was saying, uh, this. these are the, the geniuses in Portland who are going into hotels because they're taking advantage of the tourism. They're helping, they're, they're, they're helping drive tourism right to their restaurant. And then all of a sudden, they... they who knew, but that didn't look like a genius move in retrospect, for sure. Um, and it's yeah. tough. So it's, I think it's really sad to see. I think we've lost some great operators, right? I think right off the top, you can think of some awesome operators who are no longer operating in Portland and some of the, some of the best. And so there's a new generation coming, and it's going to take a while for them to... Um, 
you know, to really be on the forefront and be the ones who mentored others uh, along the way, right? I mean, people like Vitaly, how many people went through his kitchens? So those chefs are now the ones who are going to be mentoring other chefs, and they are already, but, you know, Vitaly and... and um, David Machado and John Gorham, all those folks mentored a lot of people and and are responsible for some of the restaurants that remain like NBC and places like that. So um, that's, uh, I guess it's an interesting segue when you were talking about some of the articles that you've written have had an impact on tourism, because I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, I'm curious about the James Beard Foundation Awards and you know they took a couple of years off and now um, you know if you read a little bit about it and talk a little bit about it it's uh, very the James Beard Foundation doesn't have representatives in cities like Portland and Seattle they're relying on people like you to decide who to nominate and who to who should win as well, perhaps. Um, I don't. I don't even know if once they nominate a restaurant and then make it a finalist, if they actually visit it. Who knows? I don't know that. Maybe you do. But do you? Can you speak at all to your potential influence? And I just say this on a in a, in a productive way: your potential influence on the James Beard Foundation awards who was nominated and um how whether you think that's true and if it is uh how you feel about that you know i noticed uh i had never heard i know you're from salem so i had never heard of epilogue and jonathan jones before and uh it wasn't until he was nominated and then i went back and looked and saw you you had written about epilogue uh not long before that so um yeah, speak to that a little bit if you could, Brooke. Yeah. Um, so I will say the immediate disclosure is I am not a James Beard judge. So I, I am not in the voting body. Um, there are some people who work for Eater who are. Um, not me. <laughs> I feel pretty fine saying that. Um, I do think that you know, part of what happened when uh, the James Beard Foundation took off those years um, of awards is they had this like major audit of how they how they chose nominees, how they awarded people, what kinds of restaurants were being awarded, and they tried to like shift the ways that they approached their awards. So they set a goal. Uh, by 2023, of having 45% of committee members and judges be people of color. Um, I think that was actually 2022, if I remember correctly. Um, But the, um, you know, a lot of times what has happened is it's been this sort of situation where previous winners become the voting body, right? Um, It's now more like those winners are considered among other people. Um, to kind of become those, those judges. Um, so, you know, they, they've really been trying to kind of shift the way that they nominate, shift the way that they judge to kind of try to be a little bit more equitable in how they approach things. Um, 
So that that's a little sort of behind the curtain for the James Beard Awards um, in terms of how those those have shifted. Um, I do think that this was an interesting year for semifinalists because yes, I, uh, so I, I should also clarify, I'm from Eugene, but I wrote in, I was a reporter in Salem. Uh, yes. During the time that epilogue was, um, you know, in, in the scene, um, they opened a restaurant and then there was this really, um, powerful sort of moment where, you know, I think that Jonathan really stepped up as a community leader, you know, um, and that restaurant became much more than just a restaurant. It was this sort of, um, he was kind of a solitary voice, um, in Salem at large, sort of about racism within the industry and within that community. Um, so, you know, I think it, it was, it felt really exciting beyond just that the food at epilogue is very good. I highly recommend if you're ever in Salem to visit um, it, you know, seeing Jonathan get that kind of semifinalist nod felt really. Do exciting. you think, but do you think you had, that was because you wrote about them? Cause how else was, how oh. else was the committee going to know about a restaurant, any restaurant in Salem? Well, you know, I think that there is some stuff, we don't necessarily know who the judges are. And I think that there might be some people who are reading the Statesman Journal. Who knows? Um, I think that Emily Teal did some really good reporting on um, Epilogue as well. And I think that, you know, uh, our, I, I think that there was more of an awareness of like, are we just covering the restaurants in the major cities or should we be looking at restaurants in other parts of the, you know, of the States? And I think that that allowed people to recognize real talent that might not necessarily be in these major cities, um, which I think is long overdue. Right. So you think that the judges or whatever committees they are, and I'm, by the way, I'm just curious about this, actively sought out articles, at least, because they weren't traveling here necessarily, I guess, actively sought out press on or websites or anything else on restaurants outside of Portland or Seattle or wherever it may be, rather than, um, you know, I, did they contact reporters? Did they ask? Did, they, did you get any contact from anybody and say, who should we be looking at this year? I personally didn't. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I, I can't fathom anyone working on any sort of award, like major award ceremony of, in the food industry who is not reading the perspectives of journalists who are covering this stuff. I just think that, you know, um, I, you know, I've had people from national publications reach out to me. I'm, you know, obviously I defer to .com. I, I you know, I work for Eater, so I, I definitely help with the way that Eater runs awards on the national side. Um, but I do think that um, something that's really special about Eater as an organization, and I think something that does sort of impact the larger media market as it, as it relates to food is that we have these bureaus, so to speak, you know, that we have these city sites that are sort of on the ground in different communities, um, celebrating restaurants under this umbrella brand that is more of a national name. 
So, you know, we do have a lot of people on the ground who can go, hey, this restaurant in our community is actually really cool and great. And then, you know, people on the national side go, oh, okay, we should pay attention to that. And then I think people in the national food scene are, I, I think people in the national food scene read eater, period. Like, I think that eaters, I, I feel very lucky to work where I work, you know, not necessarily because I think that I'm phenomenal it's more like there are some really great reporters who work for .com that I admire deeply including like Jaya Saxena and Meg McCarran those kind of people so I'm, this is so long winded no it, it's fine <laughs> I'm curious about it and also there are fewer there's a lot less food writing going on than there used to budgets have been cut at uh, major publications too so um, it, it helped you and Eater uh, rise where you are right now in terms of influence on the public and people in the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 if you can tell that I'm, you know, getting elusive, it's because I don't want to take too much ownership over, you know, trend setting, trend setting, because I, you know, I, I think that the chefs themselves speak for themselves, and I think that they are incredibly talented, and I hope that people are still coming out here and, and going to these restaurants and getting impressed themselves. Um, but I do think that I hope that if, you know, the people that I've found to be very talented, the people that we've championed in maps or through the eater awards are people that are being paid attention to, um, because of our work. I think that's, that's very special. And I, I, I think that would be a great, um, that's something I would be very proud of in terms of what I do. Yeah. yeah, and I think I don't consider you being elusive. I just think also you're being a little humble too, um, you know, because if you just took credit for it, then that would be a little problem. That would be that would make headlines. But um, but I do think you know uh, you yes they no one may have contacted you directly, but they certainly can contact you by doing an, a search for Eater PDX and going back over the last year and seeing what was covered, too. So, um, uh, okay, thank you for answering that. Is there anybody in particular that you um, feel was uh, deserving that didn't make the list, perhaps? And do you think mm -hmm. that maybe there was a... Um, uh, a <sighs> How do I say this? A slight tilting of the scales uh, to give some people more consideration than others may have. Yeah, I, I, and I. This is something I felt in recent years. You know, um, I do think that Portland isn't given quite enough credit. What you know, semifinalist lists are great, but I do think that we could be doing. We could be making nominees in the national categories a little bit more than we are, I think, based on talent as someone who does eat in a lot of different cities. Um, I think that in terms of the, the finalist list, there were some people that I was um, disappointed didn't make that final list. Um, you know, I think that um, I, I'm very... Okay, I'm, I'm going to start positive. Right? Yeah, it's a good place um, to start. I think that, and then maybe you'll forget the negative. So all that's left is the positive. Right. <laughs> um, I really, I think, you know, Earl is so, Earl Ninsome is so overdue for um, Outstanding Restaurateur finalist. Um, I, I'm so glad that he made the finalist category for that. Um, uh, he is an Outstanding Restaurateur, you know. I think that he 
you know, when people visit Portland um, and people ask me where to go, I end up naming at least a couple, uh, you know, Ninsome restaurants just because all of the restaurants are so different and so cool and, and, and are doing very interesting things. Um, and so, and so he think, deserves it so much because you talk about people who made it through a pandemic. Not only did he make it through the pandemic, and we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but he's got lines at the door still everywhere that he has operated. Yeah. And I think he is the, you know, I think when the dust has settled, he's, he's Portland's kingpin right now, uh, Earl Ninsom's. Chris, we are going to pause here a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat here in Portland, a uh, Portland institution, as it were, Ringside Steakhouse. Yeah, and uh, 78 years, I understand now, man, it was the 75th pre-pandemic, and now, boy, that, that time went fast. 78 years, we should cover the necessary particulars about what they're doing now. They're offering indoor dining and uh, heated and covered outdoor dining, and they're also doing to-go, which I want to talk about in a second, but also they're doing seating in the bar as though it was the restaurant, so that beautiful bar that they just run a few years ago is now kind of part of the dining room but it's it's got a cool vibe to it so um so all sorts of the hours are uh, four to nine on weekends or four to nine thirty on saturday actually four thirty to nine thirty on friday five to nine wednesday and thursday so they're closed now on monday and tuesday although if you check in sometimes they will be open on tuesday um and also, if you call an hour and a ahead, you can get to go, your food to go. I just did a party with 10 people at my house. Ringside provided all the food, and it was spectacular. We had New York strip, boneless New York strip steaks, which were easy for me to do on the grill, and then slice up. The mashed potatoes, all sous vide, were fantastic. We got ingredients for salad hazelnuts, two types of dressing, green beans, uh, and oh, lobster tails as well. And uh, it was really easy to do. And also for dessert, very simple, some of the best toffee you're ever going to have. You just throw that on a plate and it's all good. So we were looking for something that was less work intensive and ringside provided it. It's very nice. So whether it be for a special occasion or a special occasion happening at your place, Ringside Steakhouse has you covered. Yeah, and you can find them on Open Table or at ringsidesteakhouse.com for reservations, or you can call them at 503-223-1513. That's 223-1513 for reservations and uh, to order something to go. And I want to ask you while I'm thinking about it because I've I have never heard anybody say it. I've only read the name. How do you pronounce his new restaurant in the old Atala oh. space? Uh, I am pronouncing it Phuket Cafe. Phuket. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I yeah. It. I also went on opening night and it's great. <laughs> but yeah, um, definitely. Um, you know. I am glad that opened. I am excited that Longbon is going to have a new home. I think that's very cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just such a cheerleader. I think he does such great work. And, and he's and the nicest guy. He's the nicest guy you can imagine. There's no one nicer that you, you would hope that for. Yeah, just as an incredibly sweet and supportive person. And the people I know who work for him 
think he's a great yeah. boss. So, you know, I think that that feels really nice. Um, so I'm glad he made that finalist list. I think that I'm also very happy for um, people like Tom. I, I think that Almost Hideaway is such a special restaurant. Um, and um, the... I, I How do I want to say this? Um, I... Okay. I think that Carla LaMagna and I think Thomas Bishop Duffley being finalists, I think they both earned it. Mm -hmm. I am so glad that they're there. I wish that Vince Wen of Berlou was made the finalist list because I think that Vince is doing something that feels very exciting and new in a, in a way that is unlike many things here. You know, um, I think that there are so few restaurants still doing fine dining tasting menus in Portland right Mm -hmm. now. And he's Mm -hmm. doing one that's that, you know, when I go and eat at his restaurants, my mind, it feels like high art. It feels like this really cool and interesting. He has such an, a, a, a distinct perspective on food that I am just consistently excited by. So I, I, you know, I hope that he has his moment down the line in future years, because I do think that there, he, that is a really talented person right there. And I, I hope that, you know, he at least makes the nominees next year. I, I don't the, think, the I don't think we're, we're done hearing about him. And I, I also will say, you know, you talked about it earlier. He got through the pandemic in very creative ways because he was doing something yes. that just wasn't going to work through the pandemic. And so uh, here he is standing with a concept. And yeah, it may just take another year or two for that to marinate with uh, a lot of people and then yeah. just uh, shine as brightly as it should. Um, I won't say that I'm guilty of having not gone yet. It's crazy. But, I, you know, I'm not... In Portland and then through the pandemic, I just, that's not a place I was going to go and pick something up and bring it back. So, um, but at any rate, no one cares where I've gone. Um, but I highly recommend it. You should get in when you can. I think um, even just the move is, you know, if you're like, I'm just coming in for, you know, a second, just bring back a bunch of pastries. The like bakery thing on Sundays is so good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that I will take note of in, uh, when I'm in on Sundays. Um, so, uh, we haven't had you on in a while and of course people can read either, but it's also a real treat to have you here to be able to verbalize some things and just hear your thoughts. So, um, I just want to get your take on what is exciting you now in terms of what's exciting right this minute that people can go enjoy and what's coming down the pike that's exciting you too. Yeah. So I, it's so funny, I just talked to my friend who also recently went to this restaurant and we're just like so excited about it. It's so, so good. Um, Pasture on Alberta is this, it's, oh man. So it's, it's a butcher shop, right? Kind of uh, in the vein of like a Laurelhurst market. All of the meats that they source are, I believe, raised in Oregon are a very, very, very tight radius. They have a lot of, you know, vegetables similarly sourced. 
And they use those meats for a incredible sandwiches at lunch. You know, like I had some of the best pastrami of my life and I am a pastrami nerd um, at pasture. Gobsmacked by how good this sandwich was. You're speechless. It was unbelievably good. And then at dinner, they do the coolest stuff. Um, you know, in terms of just like house made cheeses and, you know, you can pick any cut out of, they're doing all these really, um, underrepresented cuts. You know, if you were to like go into a, a typical butcher shop, you might not find some of these cuts. So they'll do those and they do it with this like triple beef reduction. That's like wild. Um, and then really great stuff with vegetables. You know what I mean? So I, you know, I think that is such an exciting restaurant. I'm super, super excited that that opened and, and they are just nailing it and super consistent. Um, I really love Cafe Oli. I think it's, it's really, really lovely. Um, yeah, there've been some kind of fun Italian developments, you know, between Gabbiano's and Cafe Oli. I think, um, you know, I love a spot where I can get some pasta and, you know, maybe a really cool vegetable or something like that. And they do, you know, Gabbiano says those like mozzarella shot glasses full of marinara, which is like, it just hits the pleasure center of my brain. Um, I love sunshine noodles. Uh, there's some great, like just in terms of noodles, this is a great time to eat noodles in Portland. Um, you know, I love that Bing Me opened this noodle bar. That's such a fun idea. Sunshine noodles is doing so many great noodle dishes there. And it's a fun place to be in. Um, I am going to like butcher the pronunciation here, but I think it's cow noodle house um, on like, it's doing this specific Yunnan province noodle dish, crossing the bridge noodles. So good. So, so, so good. I, I had those um, in Van, uh, Victoria, BC. First time I've ever had that. Oh, so really? yeah, little, little place based on the same crossing the bridge too. I don't remember the name of it, but uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a place that I I keep, you know, shouting about that I haven't seen other people cover as much as Somtum uh, Thai Kitchen, which is in uh, like downtown Portland in this sort of like hidden away spot. Um, and they're doing some like Thai dishes that, I, you know, this is a really hard town to stand out when it comes to Thai food. You know, there are so yeah, much. Yeah, they could have 10 years ago, but not now. Yeah. This place, I, I'm telling you, it's, it is really great Isan food, um, really, you know, cool salads and, and, you know, tabuan and, and stuff that, um, it, it's still fairly hard to find in Portland. Even, you know, Earl has some really fun dishes that are somewhat hard to find, um, stateside, but Somtum has maybe even more. They're, you know, just such a cool restaurant. Um, really, really a big fan. Um, I, I'm like, is there, so I think that in terms of stuff that's open, that's the stuff I'm super excited about. I also really love ripe. I just feel like anytime I go in there, ripe cooperative, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it's just, it reminds me of the style of like ladies who lunch kind of thing that I would do with my mom when I was younger, um, in terms of like getting a really nice salad and like, you know, as an adult, a really great glass of wine <laughs> and, um, some like really, really good pasta. Um, I think that that's such a fun place to kind of have one of those leisurely kind of lunch moments. Um, so, let me ask you, do you know off is, is expatriate like happening in the way that it used to happen now? Yes. Yeah. Expatriate as far, as far as I know, last time I was there, it's back and up and running and fun. So, 
Uh, highly recommend people pop in there too. That was one of my favorite cocktail mm-hmm. bars. Um, Always. So, yeah. Um, but I, I should also, and Cafe Fouquet was, was great. Uh, Fouquet Cafe. Um, I'm, I have to go back fairly soon though, because I want to eat my way through the menu. Um, stuff that's coming that I'm excited about. I wanted to mention, um, I am just patiently waiting for Jojo to open that restaurant. I think, um, it's, it's coming, but it's going to take a minute. Um, I, I think just construction delays have been a thing for everyone right now. It's kind of a tough time to try to open a restaurant for that Repeat reason. that again, t- because um, I didn't really get the, get it when you, Oh yeah. Construction permit. No, delays. no, no, no. The name, who, what you're talking oh, about. Jojo. 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 So Jojo, the food cart. They're opening a restaurant. Right, right, right. I'm, that's um, what I thought I heard. I'm, yeah, very excited about that opening. Um, in terms of other openings I'm excited about, Khan, um, you know, Gregory Gourdet's uh, restaurant, I'm definitely excited to visit. Um, I think that, you know, I ate some great food at the pop-up, so excited to see that kind of come into its own. And that's been a long time Pop-up coming. Industry too that has been going on for a long time so and i i would venture to guess probably the biggest opening in portland this year the one that's gotten the most press ahead of time anyway and of course you know everybody loves gregory so and his food is fantastic um so yeah that's one that i think everybody's aware of and uh it's going to be tough to get in once it opens yes i think that's probably true um another one that's sort of um, off the radar that I've been particularly excited about for personal reasons is Jacob and Sons, which is the like Jewish deli that's going to be opening from um, this guy who used to work at Wise Sons, the California deli sort of chain that I think I've been to and like. Um, but they're going to do like, you know, they're going to have this huge, you know, fish curing program. They're going to do this, you know, in-house pastrami and, and cured meats they're going to have house-baked babka and challah and, like, rogala and, like, it, it, uh, I, I want more Jewish delis just in general. It's one of my favorite things to eat. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah, opening. coming from the East Coast, um, that's one thing that has been sorely lacking here. There are a couple of good spots, but it's not like every other corner has a good Jewish deli here. Yeah. Oh, oh, before I forget, another thing that people should eat <laughs> that's open now that they can get right now is Bluto's. Um, Bluto's is, you know, it's the new Lardo Grassa trifecta kind of restaurant. You know, it's like in that that triangle of, of uh, Rick restaurants. Mm-hmm. And um, they have like a lamb skewer that I think about all the time. <laughs> it's so good. And um, yeah, there are times I'll go down there. I'll get like three of those and some tzatziki and a bunch of like fluffy pita-esque bread and just go to town, you know, so, so good. And, and that's in, that's oh, in the okay. former uh, Acanto uh, space. Yes. So mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, very, very good. And one more, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm like thinking of places as I go. Uh, Mira's East African is a food cart in... Um, God, I wish I remember the name of that pot. I think it's the yard at Montevilla. It's really, really good. If you like Somali food, it's like really good Somali food. But uh, Samira, the owner, is also doing this cool thing where she's making like these wraps with this like subayad kind of like flatbread 
and then she's filling it with stuff. So it's kind of like, it's not, it's a sort of non-traditional thing, but it's like such a good lunch. Um, so big fan of that too. Now, you know, I'm realizing okay. why I usually do these a little earlier in the day. We record a little earlier in the day because I'm starved now listening to you. <laughs> too many places. Yeah, to and I don't. I'm all jacked up with not a lot of places to go out here. So um, you know, yeah. I can't just run over to these places. Do you have any others? I had a. I just wanted to touch on something else before. But are any others that are opening up, or are you yeah. have you covered what you, what's on your mind? I think you know there are there are several that are exciting. Those were the ones that immediately came to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of ones that I was excited about that have now opened, like. Forget Cafe was definitely like high on my list in terms of things I'm particularly excited mm-hmm. about. Um, I'm excited that Akadi is coming back. Um, oh, you know what? Um, Dozone. So like Dozone, I'm not generally someone who's going to like go, woo, a chain is arriving. You know, like that's not my vibe generally. But, but that's okay. It's so okay. We have this deal. attitude in Portland like that's blasphemous. No, I know. But listen, Seattle-based... I had such good Shenzhen Bao, Xiaolong Bao there um, when I was last in Seattle. I just, I'm very excited about that opening. It's going to be huge, too. It's going to be like 7,000 square feet. Wow. Um, so, and, and between that and Din Tai Fung coming to uh, downtown Portland in like a 10,000 square foot space, like these are huge by Portland standards. Restaurants in Portland are never quite that big. So this this is kind of cool to see that, I mean... God, I hope they can fill them. You know what I yeah, mean? God, I hope they, they that's can That's a sustain. tough coat. What's going on with all the former hotel, the former restaurants and hotels like uh, Jose's Space and, you know, Vitaly's Spaces? What's going on in those places? You know, I wish I could tell you. I mean, like, you know, I've, I've had reporters go down and just sort of check in and they're like, eh. Um, places have opened that trying to be kind of graceful here <laughs> no you don't have to they, be you know what i mean <laughs> like they're just not necessarily places i'm like oh yeah you have to get to this like hyatt hotel restaurant right. you know what i mean like it was exciting is that we had these great chefs that were opening these very cool restaurants and hotels i think that people right now are kind of playing it a little safe i i do think that the bistro debacle has kind of evolved in an interesting way um in terms of hotel restaurants as in the hotel dance mm-hmm um, it's cause it's like, you know, there was this whole thing about the beast, like, you know, Marshawn Lynch opening a restaurant. He wanted to call it beast. Obviously beast is taken. Right. <laughs> like it's a restaurant that people know in Portland. Naomi was quite upset. It was this whole drama. Um, they just, they landed on bistro instead right. because you know, beast is beast mode anyway. Um, but now they have, um, this chef in there who is doing these like really kind of almost patisserie esque kind of like brunch desserty things. Mm-hmm. And then also um, Hey Chowdy, which was like an Instagram pop-up doing pate so, um, like deliveries and, and like pickups around Portland is now there and you can get pate so there. So it's like this sort of like, and then you could get Korean food at night. It's like this very kind of eclectic, like AAPI, you know, spectrum of, of dishes there that I think is interesting. I think um, I'll be excited to see how that develops in, in the coming months. I would imagine it would be very tough to get uh, a name chef in Portland in one of those hotel spots right now. Yeah. They've got to be 
fairly gun shy and uh, you know i'm sure that some will do it someday but now may not be the time let a year go by we'll see what the tourism industry is like but those have to be tough unless someone's going to subsidize them like the hotel chain themselves right. and they're gun shy themselves too Yep, so I don't know that business, but that just is, you know, the way I would see it right now. So I wanted to transition a little bit because you were talking about Jewish delis and um, the yeah. thought came to mind, like when someone t asks me a place that they may not have heard of, and one place is Otto's over by Reed College. Yeah. And I love that uh -huh. spot. And those are the places that don't get covered because he's been there for, what, 900 years um, yeah. so what do you think about that? And, you know, I wanted to talk to you. I just want to ask you, you talked before about going a little deeper on some of the iconic restaurants that have been around. And I was happy to see ringside back on the eater 38. That was very cool. Um, I'm glad you did that. And I'm sure you might have some others as you're, as you're covering these stories a little deeper, there may be need for you to think, you know, this belongs on there. Uh, they, they've, yeah. they've, they've earned it, right? It's a matter of earning it. So are there any other places yeah. that come to mind? I mean, I, I don't, I never like to ask anybody on this podcast, what do you think of autos? Just in case they don't think much. <laughs> yeah. Um, but are there any others that you're planning on covering in the, in the vein that you were talking about that, um, you think deserve a lot of, uh, you know, notice right now that people should be considering? Well, I'm going to play my cards a little close to my chest in terms of stuff that we haven't published right. yet. Um, I will say Otto's recently went on one of our maps. Um, it's it's on our Woodstock map. It, it is definitely a place that we love. I think it might be also on our lunch map. I don't Should know. be. Uh, it's definitely a place to think about um, fairly often. I also think it's a place that's covered in a lot of ways that I think people forget. Like, I think that it was on Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives, right? Like, it's it's a Food Network favorite. Like, I think that place is... It's, it feels like an institution. It feels like a place that people um, definitely know and love. Um, I, yeah, in terms of places that we have covered in that vein, um, we did this piece on Taste Tickler um, at the end of the year last year that was sort of about this premise of, um, you know, so like when we think about like Seattle teriyaki, um, there is this phenomenon of like teriyaki sub shops mm -hmm. um, that is like kind of specific to the Pacific Northwest. So it, it has expanded out, but it definitely was sort of born out of that specific Korean influenced teriyaki that's specific to the Pacific Northwest. And then that kind of transitioning into the sub shop model and taste tickler is like kind of like the quintessential version of that. Right. Um, so I want, I definitely wanted us to cover that and I'm glad we did. Um, in terms of other restaurants that have ended up on the 38 that are kind of old school classics, Murata is on 38. I was going to ask you about that because that of all the places yeah. over the last two years, when I'm in for into Portland for lunch, I'm there. And uh, I've probably yeah. eaten there 20 times uh, to the detriment of my experiences elsewhere. But um, it's great, right? Yeah. And I, yeah. I hope you, it's I would great. love to see you do a deep dish into that and learn more about it. Because it's kind of a fascinating yeah. story. It's been there forever. And, uh, yeah, it's certainly not trendy. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I think, you know, what's been kind of fun is, you know, um, I'm, I'm giving props to another food writer in town I really love and admire and is, I, I consider a friend, um, Catherine Shue Hamilton, who is the new food editor at Portland Monthly. 
um, you know, she tipped me off about heading back to Murata. Um, and it was, I'm so glad she did, um, because it was so worth it. It's such a, it, it reminded me so much of my childhood in such a lovely way. The food is consistently great. Um, you know, I miss those kinds of places and I'm glad that they still exist and are still beloved. I really do think that Murata is beloved. Um, but I do think that there is, you know, I think that because of what we've all gone through, there people, especially I think younger writers like Catherine and myself, we're kind of in the space where we're like, <laughs> it, it's probably, it probably drives other people nuts, but it's like, man, have you heard about you too? Like, it's like that kind of quality of like, oh, have you heard about this really cool classic restaurant that's been around forever? It's like, yeah. Um, so we're kind of working our way through those archives a little bit. Yeah. Well, that that's like the same thing when I, yeah, I remember when I was a long time ago when I would uh, mention the Beatles to a babysitter and they would say, is, is that the guy in wings? So same, same thing, but yeah, I know it's interesting that that's your perspective. These are places that, uh, oh yeah, I, I haven't necessarily heard of. And I, I think Murat is in that camp. And for me who really likes good service and it's a big thing for me at a restaurant, those people are just killer with service. As I always, you know, I'm sure I know I mentioned to you a number of times ringside, same thing to me. If you're looking for that service experience that you get in big cities around the, the world, those are two places for me that come to mind um, right off the bat in Portland. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but you're not going to give up some of the ones you're thinking about covering not yet. You'll have to read either.com. Oh, man, so, just yeah. a hint. Can we can we have like a a wordle kind of thing where you just <laughs> I have to guess. I will say um one of the places that I am looking forward to doing next is a bakery. How about that? Okay. All yeah. right. I can uh, think of two that would fall into that category and maybe more, but um but yeah, no, I uh I, you know, I, find, I can't wait to read that because there's so many things. That's what I've been doing on this podcast and with Portland Food Adventures. It's us beyond the exact food. And you're very well versed in different cuisines. Certainly, I can just tell listening to you more so than I am. And I can see why I never really became a food writer. But one of the things I've always wanted to do is highlight these people and their experiences in the past and, and the experiences in the restaurants themselves. Um, and I think that, you know, that's important to me. That's what I love. And um, you can always, food is the food, but the, the story in Portland, I always thought that these, um, the chefs and the other tastemakers, the bartenders who are awesome, um, that, there are sports celebrities because in my mind coming from the New York area, we don't have a lot of sports here. And I always yeah. felt like this is, this is what's cool in Portland. And you can talk to these people and they'll hand you food yeah. and they'll make suggestions. So anyway, I'm looking forward to that and I'm glad you're making room um, on the slate um, or with personnel to be able to do that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, totally. All right. Well, listen, what did you eat in the last week? I want to hear that. Or is it going to be the same places you've already talked about? Oh, man. No, I, in the last week, um, I, I did go to Mira's. Um, I also went to an, 
Iraqi bakery that I am currently forgetting the name of. Um, in like, you know. Um, well, anybody can do a Google search Iraqi bakery Portland and probably find it. <laughs> it's Sunbella. It, um, Sunbella in in East Portland, I think, is the second location. Um, popped in there. Um, What's it in? A, I, what is at an Iraqi bakery? So you have a lot of different at this specific bakery. Um, I'm also I have to give my props. Um, this is a Janie Wong. She wrote a piece for Portland Mercury mm-hmm. about this place. So I was like, oh, I gotta go. Um, but I loved. They have like a whole counter's worth of different baklava um, and a lot of sort of like shortbread esque cookies. But I, my favorite thing that I'll absolutely get a million times the next time I'm there is that you'll see, you know, the, the bakery is open format. So you can kind of see people baking and they do these like massive sheets of flatbread. Like I'm talking, I don't know, two feet diameter, like massive, maybe three feet. Like they're like, you can use them as an umbrella size. Well, that's a great thing for Portland, but except for the fact that nobody uses umbrellas here. Right. Right. Of course. But so good, fresh, like flaky, you know, spotted with char, like incredible little hunk of bread that I took home, devoured, dunked in a bunch of like tzatziki and hummus and baba ganoush, like, you know, super, super, super good. Highly recommend people go out and just for those sheets of bread. Um, and, you know, they do all sorts of other, like, little, like, lunchy-like things. Um, like, uh, you know, little handheld meat pies and stuff like that um, that are tasty. Um, yeah, so definitely did that. In terms of other stuff I ate that I'm particularly proud of, last <laughs> night I made homemade pasta. Um, and uh, did it kind of in a springy way with asparagus and leeks and... Very nice. Top of mind because it was last night. That's good. I have one more question I've never asked you. I've certainly, we've discussed it a lot when we've had Gary the foodie on. Um, But do you have any uh, things you may may not want to admit, but you should be able to? Uh, guilty pleasures in terms of fast food. Do you ever go to a McDonald's? Do you ever go, mm-hmm. like, Gary loves Domino's, and I find that hilarious, yeah. that that's his, like, thing of choice on any given night. And uh, everybody's paying attention to him for Michelin star restaurants across the world, and that's what he, that's one of the things he likes the most. How about you? Yeah, I totally, absolutely go for that stuff sometimes when I'm feeling it. Um, I am a Popeye's gal. Mm. I, I really love Popeye's bone-in spicy. And I get the mashed potatoes with the like Cajun gravy. And I like dunk the chicken directly in that. Very nice. The sa- their sandwich is awesome that they got a lot of notoriety yeah. for a couple of years ago. I had Popeye's oh. within the last 24 hours. So there you go. <laughs> so it's top of my <laughs> Cold. But yeah. it was. Yeah, I still oh, well. like it better hot. But um, what else? Anything else? How about a burger? You go for any burgers anywhere? Uh, Shake Shack just opened or looks like it's about to open in, in Beaverton. I'll admit, I am not a fast food burger person. I, I like fast food kind of takes from places like Mid-City and stuff. If I'm at a fast food place, like I do, I am a McDonald's gal. I have McDonald's. Um, but I, I'm a nugget person. I always, I go for nuggets and fries. And then, um, for breakfast, 
the thing I do is I'll this this is bringing me back to Boston, baby. Um, I would get like a McGriddle, and then or no, yeah, a McGriddle, and then I would get hash browns, and then I would put the hash browns in between. Oh, that's good. With- I am a I'm a I'm- sausage biscuit freak. So yeah. uh, that's crazy. And then I found out later in life that my father was also sneaking those things uh-huh. along the way. So it's genetic. So I'm just going to blame it be. on genes. But oh, I will say crunch wrap. I'm a crunch wrap gal. What's that? If I'm if I'm oh a, a Taco Bell crunch wrap. It's like the crunch wrap supreme. They they like it's like a a disc. It's like a, a thick disc of tortillas and cheese and meat and vegetables and sauce. And I just like douse it in their like fire sauce or whatever it's called um there's in terms of another like sort of fake out from a local person nacho makes a crunch wrap that i really love mm-hmm. um and i know ricky bella has done like a pop-up with crunch wraps so who was it at, the, who was a- it at feast that did the uh, fish fillet a few years ago that was so good oh God, who was that? yeah i remember that i i want to say it was like top was it Carney Park? i think it was salt and straw Maybe. Was it salt? I think it was, maybe not. Or it might have been Gabriel. Oh. I don't know. I'll, you know what? I'm doing this. I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing one of these. Um, but that was pretty cool. And I love that. And I just, you know, I don't want to feel guilty about doing food like that once in a while. Because it's easy and it's, there's a reason <laughs> it's been around forever and there's so many. It's easy. And I like the app. The McDonald's app, man. So I don't have to. I just pull up a side and screw around with my phone while my food's being made, and they bring it right to me. That's a cool one too. So, yeah. All right. So, Um, but wait, do you have more? (laughs) um, I I think I wanted to tell you that the I believe if it's the if it's the filet fish, if it was 2016, yeah. I, I I will aim a week checked it. It may have been Nomad, but that doesn't sound no. right. I feel like there was one really recent, like it was like the East East versus West. Yeah, no, I don't think it was Nomad. I think it was, yeah. but who knows? And I can't imagine that Feast would have allowed that to be done more than once, but who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. And Feast is, yeah, Feast, that's a whole other issue. We'll talk about that sometime. Yeah. Uh, yeah. About what's happened with that. Do you have any... Um, Crazy, stupid junk food that you like at home. I love this. I love this track. So, like mine, I'm, as long as I'm asking you, I'll be fair. And mine, uh-huh. I like. I like uh, the puffy cheese doodles sometimes. And um, mm-hmm. once in a while, I can't eat them very much. Like the well, it used to be Hostess where I came from, but the cherry pies. Um, yeah. Those are those I like. And anyway, do you? Have, what do you got? What do you got? Oh, um, so I definitely partake, um, in snack, snacks of all kinds. Um, I love a, like, if I'm on a road trip, I love to get a thing of Welch's fruit snacks and a thing of sour cream and cheddar ruffles. I would say like those, I love smart food popcorn. Mm -hmm. I like cheesy things. Um, but I will also say that like, I will probably once a month I go to H Mart and I get a bunch of chips. I get a bunch of different chips. So when I went to Han, Han Oak recently, I was like, we do the same thing because they do that. Um, they're doing a hot pot thing there now. Mm-hmm. And they do caviar with 
um, the like a variety of H Mart chips. So like, you know, octopus flavor, honey, truffle butter, you know, whatever, like all these different kind of flavors of chips. And I love to do that. It is so fun. And I always end up finding some chips that I end up becoming absolutely obsessed with. I'm a big shrimp chip gal for that. Yeah, I tend to get obsessed with things and then lose interest uh, after I've told everybody how great these are. And then all of a sudden, I don't have any interest any longer. So, but I'm going to, I'm going to, end this by giving you a little thank you tip uh, of food that I think you will absolutely love and everybody else too. Uh, There at Zupan's, there are these bags of Christina's uh, puffed corn snacks that they have just regular and chocolate. And I would just ask you to step in there sometime. You can't not. You can't miss it because they have them in different areas of the store. They're so popular now, um, and I want to have her on the podcast because she was doing crafts and this, and and I guess this kind of caught on with Zupans. And if you have a bag of that and can't and are able to let it go more than two sittings to get through that. I sometimes, if I'm focusing on something else and just eating, they're gone, the whole bag is gone in one shot. Yeah. And it's not good. Sure. But I mean, it's, I guess it's a lot of sugar. But, oh my God, I've never yeah. had crack like that with food. And I haven't had it in a long time where it's been so addictive. Okay, the Christina. Christina's huh? puffed, whatever. I'm not looking at it right now, but the puffed things at, at Zupan's. And they're not, they're not, uh, inexpensive, uh, as you might imagine, but they're worth that. And I, I've ha- I had a little party here where I had people visiting from around the country, and I handed everybody one of those to get on the plane with. And uh, oh. and I heard I got lots of texts afterwards. So um, I'd love to hear from you what you think. I'll have to go try. All right, Brooke. Thank you so much for more time than than I asked you for. To begin with, so you're so gracious in staying on for an hour and nine minutes and 57 seconds with us right now. <laughs> Happy to be here. Pardon me? Happy to be yeah, here. Yeah, no, that's great. I appreciate it. Thank you for all your uh, tips and your candor and um, your thoughts. I really appreciate it. It's always great to have you. We had planned on this being at the beginning of the first quarter. We're at the beginning of the second <laughs> quarter now, and so... Let's maybe maybe the beginning of the fourth quarter would be good to catch up again. Yeah, <laughs> I'd like to do. All that. right, totally. thank you so much. Be well. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX, or on Facebook at Right at the Fork, or online at Right at the Fork.com. Mm-hmm.